It's the football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Here's your host, AJ Nicoletti. What up? FFFSOSS.com. At FFFSOSS, Twitter, Instagram, Twitter.tv, slash AJ3. We are in November, folks. The weather is starting to turn a little cold. We got Thanksgiving, Christmas coming up. We just say goodbye to Halloween and, you know, September and October. And it's still fall, but the winter weather is coming. So that means a lot of serious football is coming soon. So plenty of football to talk about on this program. We'll do NFL headlines and trade deadline recap and the kickoff into our NFL Week 9 preview. Then we'll do some college football playoff ranking reaction i didn't think they would rank ohio state one i said it could happen but hey they did it so we'll do that into a college football week 10 preview weekend soccer preview college basketball season preview because the season starts monday so i couldn't do it on um for tuesday's show unfortunately i could do it on thursday's show so that was a bunch of research i had to do uh ahead of this program because i wasn't ready for college basketball <laughs> But here we are. I had to preview the season. We got World Series, of course, and then Sarai Pulak's and Pick 6 as we start to get those going in the right directions, the pick segments of the show. So a big, big show on this Thursday, the first pod in November. NFL headlines, trade deadline recap, NFL Week 9 preview, college football Week 10 preview, along with a college football playoff reaction to the rankings. Weekend soccer preview. College basketball season preview, World Series, Sarah Pulaks, and pick six. Kickoff, NFL headlines in the trade deadline. So the Raiders, if you woke up on Wednesday, maybe if you stayed up late night on the West Coast, you saw it going to bed, but you woke up to the Raiders cleaning house. McDaniels, the head coach, out. Lombardi, the OC, out. Ziegler, the GM, out. So it was a quick marriage for Josh McDaniels to the Raiders and he is now out and I'm sure he'll be calling plays in New England next year if I know um, coaching like I know coaching in this league but the Raiders it seems like the experiment is over with Jimmy G getting banged up Um, they want to see what they got in O'Connell which I kind of do understand to be fair because you get a quarterback like Jimmy G and if he's like it's not like he's young anymore but he's not old yet but him getting that injury doesn't really help you. So they're going to see what they have. A quarterback is a bunch of quarterbacks coming out, as we know. So the Raiders have cleaned house. Cousins, it's official ACL out for the year. It's unfortunate. Um, I don't think he's a great quarterback. He's a good quarterback. He can win in this league, but is he a, a, a Super Bowl quarterback? No, he's not. Is he a... Is he a franchise quarterback like maybe like I guess he's on that line from serviceable starter to franchise quarterback but again franchise quarterbacks to me are guys that can win Super Bowls so I don't know if he crosses that threshold so um but he is all a classy fella that's 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 apparently never been debatable so it sucks for him but let's get to some trades I mean the NFL trade deadline the last I would say two three maybe even four years, like two, three, four years. It's been getting more and more like the three other major sports in the U.S. The baseline, the baseball deadline is always crazy. 
the basketball and, and hockey deadlines are always entertaining. So the NFL, because for so long it was what? Oh, you can't learn the playbooks. You can't learn the term. Well, now it's so, I don't want to say it's so sophisticatedly or, or complicated or simple and, and, and not complex, but the terms are translatable. So many guys have been in so many systems that you can kind of just translate the verbiage and say, oh, no, you're looking at it this way. It's actually this from what he came from, right? And they're coaching. So previously forever, you couldn't trade in football because, no, they can't learn the playbook. How the, that's what training camp's for. You're just going to bring a guy in and then try to get him acclimated to your team. How do you know if he's good in the locker room or not? Well, that's changed. That has changed, especially um, in the last few years. So let's get to it. The Niners get Chase Young from the Commanders for a conditional third. So Chase Young and Bosa reunited from their Ohio State days. Nick Bosa, even though he didn't really play at Ohio State, he did technically fine. So that's a good move for the Niners. They got Randy Gregory before. They get Chase Young now. They're bolstering up that pass rush, um, especially because they've had some injuries on offense right now that are hurting them, so they're going to try to win with defense in the meantime. Seahawks get Leonard Williams from the Giants for a second and a fifth in uh, the draft two drafts from now. Seahawks trying to make a move. They see that the Niners may be vulnerable with these injuries and these three losses in a row. Um, so they're trying to get involved. They, they see that the Rams with Stafford getting banged up. Maybe they can't put together a strong middle part of the season to contend uh, late in the season. But Seahawks go get a good defensive player. That's for sure. Williams is a good player. Bills, who are missing Tredavious White, they're missing a shutdown corner. They go get Rasul Douglas from the Packers. They get a fifth as well for a third. So you get a pick back, you give up a pick, and you get a corner that you slot in right now. And he helps your team. So I think that was a really, really smart move for the Bills. Yes, giving up a third, that could possibly be a starter you know, in next year's draft, that just seems to happen. A lot of stars come from the third round a lot of these days now. But to me, it's a really good move for the Bills because they were hurting at corner. We know with Milano out, they've been hurting at linebacker, but they solved one of the problems here with Douglas. That's a smart move. Lions get Peoples-Jones from the Browns for a sixth. Uh, Peoples-Jones is a guy that I think has suffered from inconsistent quarterback play. In Cleveland, you know, changing over uh, the guy that's throwing you the ball week after week, it's tough to get used to, right? So I think it's he's going to benefit from this. They could use a big, strong receiver in Detroit. St. Brown doesn't have a ton of size. Um, Reynolds doesn't necessarily have a ton of size, to be fair. So I like people Jones coming in there. Jags get some offensive line help. Cleveland coming in from the Vikings for a six, so that should help their interior protecting um, Trevor Lawrence better. Falcons get Street and a seventh from the Eagles. So the Eagles made some moves and then decided that they could part ways from one of their defensive linemen in Street. They got a lot of depth there up front. That front seven, is that's a lot of players. That's a lot of players for the Eagles. So they part with one, send them down to the Falcons, who after Grady Jarrett got, uh, shut down for the season. That helps their defensive line. 
So the Commanders had some decisions to make on defense. They traded Chase Young, and they had already traded Montez Sweat to that point. The Bears get him for a conditional second. If the Bears can re-sign him, that's a really good trade. But if the Bears can't re-sign him, that doesn't make a lot of sense for me. Now, I understand the Bears have and could have the first two draft picks if it all turns out for them, right? But you don't really want to give up twos when you're trying to rebuild. That that could be a starter. That could be a franchise kind of player that you play at right tackle or you play at linebacker. You get a receiver and you're like, hey, we got this guy for seven years. We signed this guy again, you know, kind of a thing. It's interesting for me. And I'll give the commanders credit because it seems like, hey, we had an opportunity with these four guys to win something or win divisions and, and be this dominant defensive line. Too many injuries and just not enough winning football. So they broke it up. They didn't think they were going to chase Young signed or, or sweat signed. So there you go. Bears get him for a second. Vikings. They didn't want to go through, uh, I guess, the BYU Hall <laughs> kid. So they go get Dobbs and a seventh and they traded the Cardinals a six, which is Dobbs gets an opportunity to put some more film out there and maybe uh, help his career out. And the Vikings get a guy that is a veteran, has played this season, might even face teams that he's already seen, so they could help him out. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of trades. That Cousins injury that we talked about, Dobbs comes in. And the Raiders, who... You saw some NFL reporters tweeting out that like teams are trying to get into contact with the Raiders, and it makes sense why nobody was answering the phone in Las Vegas, mainly because everyone was getting fired, um, and they weren't going to trade anybody. So there you go. And the Raiders, by the way, Antonio Pierce is going to be the head coach in the interim, and he is facing NCAA violations, which is hilarious. So there you go with that. So you just escape NCAA violations. You go to the NFL, and then all of a sudden you become a uh, – <laughs> become a um interim head coach pretty good gig congratulations right all right so that was the headlines from the nfl let's go to a week nine preview denver detroit the jacksonville jaguars and the niners are on the bye thursday night gets us underway tennessee visiting pittsburgh it's levis again he earned this start and kenny seems like he's going to be back in kenny peggy will be in for the stillers after suffering that uh rib injury in the loss to the Jags at home last Sunday. So this is an interesting game to me. I think it'll be low scoring. It'll be ugly. Young quarterbacks. Guys trying to, you know, I know Levis is different spot of the calendar, but both guys trying to establish themselves in a way. In different ways, but still establish themselves. Pickett being like, hey, I'm tough enough. I can be the guy. I, I understand Ben was the quarterback for this team for, what, 20 years and just played every game every week he could with a walking boot and all that stuff. So Kenny's trying to have Steeler Nation buy into he's the guy by playing hurt and playing well hurt. Like, that's just something Pittsburgh does, right? And for Levis in Tennessee, he's trying to say, hey, you hit on this pick. You hit on me. Like, this, I'm the guy. Like, Tannehill, we can figure him out with the contract or let him go or do something. And Malik can be my backup. We can run some plays for him or whatever, but I'm the guy. So it's two quarterbacks who I think can be the starters for these teams going forward. 
But I think the Pittsburgh defense will show its teeth. They won the game in L.A. on a comeback, and then in Jackson, uh, Jacksonville at home, they were flat. Primetime game, standalone game, winnable game. I think the Steelers win it tight, close. A lot of field goals in this one. A lot of field goals for the Miami-Kansas City, best game of the week, arguably. It's kicking off Sunday at 9 a.m., 9.30, because it's in Germany. Um, maybe when you look back at it at the end of the season, this could be one of the marquee games of the regular season, and it's going to be taking place 6 a.m. West Coast time. Is Kansas City in Central Mountain? I think, it, regardless, it's either 7 or 8 o'clock for them, you know, it's a great game for Germany. I'm glad they get a great game, but, I mean, what are we doing here? You know? I don't know. So, can Kansas City bounce back from the dud they laid in Denver? Too many turnovers. Not good enough. Miami did bounce back from the loss against the Eagles with the division win at home against the Pats in a game where they kind of stumbled a little bit early in both halves with some turnovers. I think it's more important for Miami because we've seen Kansas City uh, not necessarily struggle, but a few years ago they had that tough September, October, but lost a bunch of games, right? I think it's bigger for Miami if they get this win. I kind of expect Kansas City to win because they've just done it before and Miami hasn't yet. That being said, it'd be a gigantic breakthrough win for the Dolphins. If anybody knows that speed can absolutely kill them, it's it's Kansas City with Tyreek Hill. So, if Kansas City's front, you know, Chris Jones has to have a big game against Miami's line and has to get Tua to the ground because if Tua is able to get the ball out on time accurately to these receivers in space with speed, like it's very, very difficult to bring them to the ground. And even if you do bring them to the ground, it might be after 15, 30, 45, 70 yards, you know, or they're gone. Kansas City, I think, has to kind of control the game a little bit. I don't think they want to necessarily get in a shootout. Like, and that's surprising to say. I understand what you mean. Like, what do you mean Kansas City doesn't want to get in a shootout? They put up points. Right. I think they'll want to control the clock, not want to get in a shootout, because Miami's explosive plays, like say you take a lead 27-24 late, and then they just throw a bubble to Tyreek, he breaks two tackles and runs 80 yards for a touchdown. Well, we shouldn't have given the ball back with two minutes left. You know what kind of a thing? So, like, I think Kansas City's going to want to control the ball, control the clock, kind of a professional win almost if they do get it done. Not saying that Miami's unprofessional, but Kansas City's done it. Kansas City's won the Super Bowls. This core has done it. And Miami just hasn't yet. And, again, if Miami does win this game, gigantic win for them, breakthrough win for them, for sure. But I just, it's very, very difficult to beat them. It's, and I know you're going to be like, well, Denver just beat them, and you think Denver's really bad. Denver hadn't beaten them for, what, 15 games in a row. So there you go. So I like um, Kansas City. I don't think it gets to the 30s. I don't. 
All right, back stateside on Sunday. Packers host the Rams. It'll be ripping if Stafford can't go. Packers have not been good. Um, but I just can't take a backup quarterback going to Lambeau. Um, it just doesn't make a ton of sense for me. If Stafford can go, if he's like can grip a ball, I'd be very shocked considering like watching his hand go in that helmet last week. That did not look good. I just can't take a backup. I'm tired of taking backups in this league. Give me Green Bay, even though Green Bay has not looked good at all in so many games. I mean, they just let teams jump on them early and like, all right, here we go. Let's come back. Like they don't they can't do it yet. So I guess I'll take Green Bay at home if they if they jump out early. If not, LA's winning the game. Washington goes up to New England. This is a weird game. Um, I would say if you looked at the rosters and the coaches, I'd say New England's a better team, especially after some of the moves the commanders just made, getting rid of two of their best defensive players on that side of the ball. Um, so, therefore, I really like New England because I think Mac Jones has more good in him than bad. I think play calling weapons, offensive line, like, these are issues that are, I don't say magnifying Max poor play. I think they are the reason for his poor play. I think, like, because you've seen this guy play, and I understand there's a Bama in college, but you've seen him play with a good offensive line, with weapons, with good play calling, and you're like, okay, that guy's a capable quarterback. That's why he got drafted in the first round, right? So I think... New England has not set Mac up to succeed, and anything he's doing that is successful just shows how talented and how good he could be when he's equipped with weapons, with an offensive line, with a good play caller. So he's shown me enough when it has worked with the offensive line and then scheming, and his receivers haven't dropped passes on him, that I do see enough to be like, okay, Yes, if if more things work out for the Pats, it could work out for Mac Jones. And with the Commanders moving on from two guys that are absolute studs on that front line, I think the Pats will be able to block up front. I see Kendrick Bourne got, um, he's out for the season, which is unfortunate. Maybe that means more targets for Devontae Parker. I'm not sure. Um... But I think New England does win the game. I do think New England wins the game at home because Belichick against young QBs, he has very good game plans. Very good game plans against young QBs. And I think Sam Howell will be facing one. So give me New England. Tampa Bay and Houston, this is a really interesting game. Not that it's two good teams or any stretch of the imagination because I think Houston is playing above their weight and Tampa is kind of playing where I would think they were. That whole division is going to be up for grabs with those three teams, Tampa, New Orleans, and Atlanta, because Carolina's bad. We know that. They're a very young team. But these other three teams, whoever kind of survives and is around 500 or, or God forbid, two games above 500, they're going to win this division and have a home playoff game, right? So Tampa, this is a winnable game for them, even though it's on the road and even though it's against a Houston team that has – found ways to win football games and done a really good job this season with D'Amico Ryans as a rookie head coach, with a rookie quarterback in, in, in CJ Stroud, with a lot of young guys on that defense led by Will Anderson up front, the rookie. So Houston at home, 
if they're in the game, I think they find a way to win. But if they struggle early, Bacon, the Bucks get going. He hits Evans. He hits Godwin. They're running the football effectively. They get up double digits. I don't think Houston can come back against a Todd Bowles defense. But if they're in the game from the first kind of kickoff and they take the first lead and, and they don't they don't like I can see them winning wire to wire. I don't think I can see them coming back against the Bucks. So give me the Bucks. Arizona and Cleveland. It's either Kyler Murray or Clayton Toon, I believe, for the Cardinals. And it's Walker again if Deshaun Watson can't go. So I think we will see Kyler Murray. I think that's part of why they let and traded Dobbs. Because they could have kept him if he wasn't ready because they only got back a sixth, right? It wasn't like they got something great back and they also gave up a seventh to get a sixth. So what did you really do? Um... That being said, I think it'll be Kyler Murray. I think he's had some practices now. I think it's two or at least two, maybe three weeks of practices, if I'm not mistaken. And it's not like they're just throwing him back in there, feed to the fire, go play some NFL football. So, no, they've worked him back in practice. So, it will be, obviously, his first game reps in how long. But it's not like it's they've activated him off IR activated the practice window, and then activated him on Sunday afternoon, right? No, it's, it's taking some time. He's been working through the kinks. So I think Arizona will play some better football throughout the rest of the season because Kyler is such a dynamic player that even though he does throw you out of some games, he keeps you in some games as well. That being said, the Cleveland defense has just been really, really good. Miles Garrett has wrecked game after game this season, it seemed like, and... For me, that's a guy that I don't think Arizona can block. Cleveland at home. It's a bad game. It's There's only one really good unit on the field when you look at it. Like, Arizona's offense and defense, no. Cleveland's offense, no. Cleveland's defense, yes. So, it's a special teams game. It's a field goal kind of game. It's like who gets in the end zone the most. Obviously, it's that kind of game, but you get my point. Um, so, give me Cleveland at home. Bears go to New Orleans. It's Badgett still with field status kind of up in the air, and, and it's a thumb, and they're shut. It seems like they're doing everything to say he's not shut down for the season, but they haven't really said, oh, yeah, he's back next week, or he's going to be back in two weeks, or we, we think he's back. No, it's just kind of like, no, he's out. He's out, and it's kind of being a little weird coming out of Chicago there, but... This will be tough for Badgett and the Bears. They're not really a good football team. They're not a well-coached football team. And I'm not saying the Saints are. But the Saints, every kind of October, they're like, oh, wait, we have we could do the Taysom Hill stuff. And, and that gives us more running game. And that helps Kamara out. And then that helps Carr out. And we can we can hit the ball. We can hit, hit the deep ball to Shahid now. And. Olave's open and Thomas is running the rest because they added that other thing to their offense, that assignment football and that Taysom Hill stuff that, you know, every few games he finds himself in the end zone two times running out of that formation. And you're like, why don't we do this more often, right? So I think New Orleans at home, defensively, they've given their offense a lot of opportunities in games by sticking in the games. And I think if... New Orleans can't 
score right away in this game, it's not like they will be down double digits at any point because the Bears' offense does not scare me in the slightest. So give me the Saints at home. Seattle and Baltimore. This is a really interesting game for me because I obviously don't like both teams. You know that. Baltimore, I don't believe in, can win the big game in the big spot just because of the way they're built. I understand their defense is doing well, and I'm not going to knock them because it's not like they make the schedule like college football, but um, the teams that they played that we were like, they're good, they've blown out Detroit. So there you go. Um, Seattle, still not overly convinced. Had a good start to last season and then faded hard down the stretch. I think we could see that. I could obviously see that coming, to be fair. And it's going to be a tough game. I could see Seattle hanging in, uh, making some plays on defense. But Baltimore at home, tough, tough defense right now. They're not giving up a lot of points. And it seems like when they when they jump on these teams early, they don't surrender the leads maybe once or twice a year. Okay, So, uh, give me Baltimore. Minnesota and Atlanta. So, it's either Dobbs or Hall versus Heineke because Arthur Smith has made the move to Heineke. And I honestly thought he could have beat out Ritter at the start of the season. He's got more experience. He's better. Um... He's better. He's better than Ritter, and I'm not trying to 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 crush Ritter. He's probably a good kid, but he's not good enough. He's just not good enough. Um, the the two highlight plays of Atlanta season, he throws a screen pass behind Robinson. He makes a one handed catch, and then he threw one to Pitts, and he makes a one handed catch. So like behind him. So like the highlights of their season are like two horrendous throws that their playmakers made look good. So I think Heineke helps that offense tremendously can Dobbs come in this week and play Sunday I, I kind of talked about that at the top of the kickoff it'll be difficult I could see him doing it but I could see them also going one more week with Hall to be fair but Atlanta wins this game at home Atlanta it's not much to say but they're a better football team um their weapons are better than the Vikings' weapons, especially now that Cousins and Jefferson are hurt. And Heineke's in, so that makes the Falcons' weapons better because they actually have a good quarterback, or a good enough quarterback, a better quarterback than Ritter, to be fair. So give me Atlanta at home. Indian Carolina, this is a really weird game. Um, Indy, to me, screams fraud. And I said that at the beginning of the season as well. Even if they had Richardson, and even if they were winning games, they wouldn't do much this season, in my opinion. The defense is not what everybody thought it would be. Buckner and Leonard are playmakers and, and good players, but they don't really have a ton of help there. Carolina coming off their first win. They got it at home. They got it in dramatic fashion, and I think... I'm not going to say turning point. Here comes Carolina in the division. Look out at NFC South. No, that's what I'm saying. But what I will say is this. They at least keep this game close and they might steal the game. They're a bad football team. Don't get me wrong. But so is Indianapolis. There's a lot of bad football across this league. 
and it's tough to win on the road, even if you're playing a really, really bad team. So give me Carolina to win it outright. Giants, Vegas, out in the desert. Jones will be back for the Giants. It'll be O'Connell for Antonio Pierce and the Arenas. Um, This is a really, really interesting game. The Giants continue to find ways to lose after last year's being like the darling with Dable winning coach of the year and they're pulling games out and the, he's going forward in big spots and they're hugging on the sideline, right? Well, where's that this year? Not looking so good, right? So it's going to be interesting to see this giant offense now that Daniel Jones is back because it seemed like they found something, whether it was the play calling or um, the protection not breaking down when Taylor was in and there were some good productive drives when he was in the, in the games in the absence of Daniel Jones. Can Daniel Jones step in with those same play calls against those same defenses and have some success that Taylor did have? It's going to be, it's, it's to be seen because again, it's kind of like Mac Jones is causing now. Uh, Daniel Jones, I would argue Daniel Jones has better weapons for sure. I don't think they have good offensive lines, either one of them, the New England Patriots or the New York football giants and play calling You'd have to think the giant play calling was better because Dable's an offensive coach, but it really isn't great either. So you could say some of the same defense mechanisms that I use for Mac Jones that I could use for Daniel Jones, but Daniel Jones also stinks, and Mac Jones I don't think stinks. So there you go with that. Um, O'Connell for the Raiders has shown he's shown some signs. He's shown some abilities at home against a bad Giants team that just lost to the Jets. Uh, For some reason, I think Vegas wins a game. Give me Vegas. Even though I don't really have a ton of confidence in that pick. (laughs) Give me Vegas. All right. Um, Next up. Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles. Big, big football game. And the Eagles have really won the games at home, and the Cowboys have won the games in Dallas, in Arlington. So I could see a split happening. I think I called a split at the beginning of the season. Um, when I was kind of saying wins, losses, all that kind of stuff. So this game to me comes down to when the Eagles have the ball, can the Cowboys get off the field and put the Cowboys offense in positions to succeed because – Dak will probably throw an interception, or the Cowboy offense will probably turn it over. But the Cowboys special teams have been really, really good this season. And when the defense has been really, really good, and the special teams are really, really good, the offense has answered. So the Cowboys are certainly capable of playing a complimentary football game on the road and winning in Philadelphia. It comes down to the offense being smart with the football, and getting touchdowns, even though Aubrey has made a bunch of kicks. you got to get touchdowns on, on the road against top teams. We know that. Defensively, can the Cowboys get off the field in those short yardage, third and fourth down, brotherly shove plays, right? Because you know they're gonna, you know what's coming. And I understand they ran the, the toss play or the whatever you want to call out of it. Fine. They showed it early. They showed it against Washington in Week 9. That was dumb. Should have waited. Um... Or showing it right away and then have it in your back pocket again. So, Cowboy defense has to 
get the Eagles in long third downs and long fourth downs. Because anything third and three, fourth and two, fourth and one, it's going to be the shove. It's just going to be. So can you stop it or can you not? Um, For the Eagles, Hurts has to be accurate with his throws. This Cowboy defense has been picking guys off left and right this entire season. I would not throw it to Ron Bland. So that means you got to throw it Gilmore, which is crazy, but it's true. Um, if the Cowboy line is healthy, it, it could contend with that Eagle front. When the Cowboys have the ball, I think it's going to be a really, really good football game. And I understand the Cowboys laid an egg against San Francisco. Um, a lot of things went wrong that night. A lot of things went wrong that night. And San Francisco played a good football game. What are you going to do? Maybe they were the Cowboys were just a little too up for that one. But this one is in division. You know you're going to see them again in Arlington. So let's see what happens in this one. I think Eagles win a close, tight game. Maybe it's a pick down the stretch from Dak, but I don't think it's a blowout either way. I see this game being tight, um, tough. NFC East division kind of like uh, the top two teams in those divisions because that's just, it's, you know, Giants, Cowboys, Giants, Eagles, Eagles, Cowboys, you know, sometimes the commies, but not really. They've been some great, great games. So I think we're going to get another one in Philadelphia and the Eagles probably pull it out because they'll be at home. Bills, Bengals, Sunday night, the game that did not get played last year after DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field. We get it this time on a Sunday night instead of a Monday night. Um, it's interesting because both of these teams have kind of had some bad moments in this season already. Bengals start some bad losses for the Bills already in this campaign. So both teams in this measuring stick game need a win. It's not like the Kansas City-Miami game where I know Kansas City just lost last week, but if they lost to Miami, I wouldn't be like, oh my God, alert everybody, Kansas City stinks. No, it, it's okay. Hey, give Miami credit. They they won the measuring stick game, right? When they're measuring up. Um, this is two teams in my mind coming in equals. Um, both have had some great moments this season. Both have had some moments to scratch your head and be like, no way that I, the, the AFC rep in the Super Bowl is one of these two teams. Well, we don't know that yet. So, I think we get a good game. I think the Bills made some good moves that will help them in some weeks' time. It's tough for a corner to come in right away, but we'll see. Will they get uh, Rasul Douglas in for this week? Cincinnati, they've replaced the safeties. The linebackers are good. That front four is sick. Hill, Reeder, Hubbard, Hendrickson, they're sick. And then if they can block for Joe B, we know that he has weapons. He can get the ball out on time and accurate. He can hit a deep shot to Jamar Chase to break, to, you know, spring a drive. So I think it's going to be a really great game. And, and the Bills... They have moments where Josh Allen just says, I'm going to take over, and that's produced results of both kinds. 
There's been some games where you look at Josh Allen take over. He runs the ball effectively. He gets the ball to digs on time and accurately. And then there's some games where he throws three picks and he fumbles because he he took off and ran and he tried to convert a uh, a second and 15 when he could have just slid and faced a third and five. No, he tried to take a guy on and he fumbled. So um, Cincinnati at home, it's an emotional game. Bills off like the mini buy after Thursday night win. I think they'll be in the game, but I think Cincinnati finds a way to win it. Chargers and the Jets on Monday night. Listen, the Chargers just seem to be on prime time every other day, every other week. It's like it's an interesting game. The Jet defense has shown an ability to play good offenses and hang in there um, and give their offense kind of two, three, four shots to score a touchdown to stay in the game. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, the Jets will give up some points, but then they'll keep a team on 10 points. They'll keep a team on 13. They'll keep a team on 14 for some possessions to allow Zach Wilson and that offense to maybe put something together to get them back in the game. At MetLife, I think the Jets, off that big, quote-unquote, road win against the Giants, they're just trying to stack some wins because they know Rodgers is going to come back. It's not like... um. It's not obscene to say he's going to come back this season. He's throwing on the field. He doesn't have a boot on. He does like he's going to come back and play. Like it's obvious. So if this Jet team can kind of just tread water, pick up wins when they can, they're going to have an opportunity when he gets back to. I don't think it's win the division, but certainly try to po- compete and get in the postseason. So. And the Chargers just find ways to lose games. We've seen that. We've seen it so many times um, with Staley. They just find ways to lose football games. And it's just over and over and over again. Um, so I'm kind of thinking, I don't know. I'm. This game is interesting to me. This game is very interesting. Jets have a little bit of that momentum. Chargers are coming off a win against the Bears, to be fair. But it is against the Bears. Um, I'm going to say the Chargers find a way to lose the game. Give me the address at home. All right. From the pros to the student-athletes college football playoff, the first rankings of the season. Let's react to them. Ohio State 1, Georgia 2, Michigan 3, Florida State 4. Washington, the odd undefeated out. Oregon, the top one-loss team at six. And then the rest of the round, Rob. Texas, seven. Bama, eight. Oklahoma, nine. Ole Miss, 10. Penn State, 11. Okay, so they put Penn State above Mizzou. They didn't put them above Ole Miss. They're valuing Penn State very high because they're valuing Ohio State as one. So they're saying the Ohio State wins are carrying them above everybody else's wins. And honestly, they're not valuing Washington's win against Oregon, even though Oregon they have as the top one-loss team. I don't think that's fair to Washington. I think you either have to have a Michigan or a Florida State out and Washington in. 
Washington has the best win in the country in my mind. Now, the committee would say, yeah, that's one win, but Ohio State has the best two wins. Okay, I disagree, but I understand where they're coming from. Now, Georgia being ahead of Michigan, I don't know if that makes a ton of sense because you could argue, even though Michigan has played a soft schedule, Michigan's dominated everybody they played almost. Georgia has had a couple of close calls. So I don't understand the ordering. Florida State has the big win over LSU, so I guess that's why they have the nod over Washington because Washington's win was close and home. But again, Oregon is the top one-loss team. So just remember that they do this to create the engagement. They really do because this, this, this ranking is basically meaningless right now. It really is. Um, but what's not meaningless Oklahoma is not in front of Texas, and they're not just behind Texas. There's another team in between. So they rank Texas's win over Bama, but they don't rate OU's win over Texas. Interesting. Very interesting. So, again, as results come in, and I'll try to do the predict uh, versus what it is, um, but they've shown you with this first ranking they love Ohio State. Shocking. Oh, my God. It's every year. But instead of being like, Michigan's crushed everybody, they're like, Michigan's crushed everybody, but it hasn't been against the best schedule. And Georgia's crushed a bunch of people, but they've also had a close close couple wins. But it doesn't matter because their schedule's better, so we put them ahead of Michigan. And then putting Florida State, who should be one of the four teams because the LSU win, to be fair, but not having Washington in the top five, you know what it fires up? Committee doesn't watch Pac-12. Committee doesn't watch our games. And I, I can understand where the Pac-12 is coming from. And it's very sad that the Pac-12 in its last year has so many good football teams. Isn't that the most Alanis Morissette ironic thing of all time? It really is to me. So, again, shocking. This podcast host has a problem with the committee rankings, whether it's the college football playoff rankings or the basketball committee rankings, which I always have a problem with, as we know, for the tournament. Um, I got an issue. I got an issue. But we'll see. It'll play out. It'll play out. All right. So from that into our college football week 10 preview, Mizzou and Georgia, number 12, number two. Georgia had the close call against Mizzou with the big kicker last year. Found a way to win the game. This time at home. I think a lot of people... And not like a lot of people, but some people have Mizzou to this point, maybe undefeated or at least with one or two losses and have an opportunity to go to Athens and pull off the stunner. I don't think they will. Georgia's been waiting for some team with hype to play them. You know what I mean? Like the idea of like the Florida game is almost meaningless now because Florida stinks. It only means something if Florida beats them while they're not ranked. Like, it doesn't mean anything, right? So, I think Georgia's been waiting for a team with a number low enough. Next to their name to prove a point for them, right? So, I think Georgia's going to hang it on Mizzou. And this is the game where we look at Mizzou and be like, okay, they're good, but... Kind of like Penn State, not ready to step up, as we know. 
Number five, Washington goes to the Coliseum to take on the men of Troy. And the men of Troy lost to Utah, right? They've lost. They almost lost to Cal. They lost to Notre Dame. They've been in some games that they shouldn't have been in because their defense is really bad. And Washington's defense in some games has looked really impressive and in other games has been like, what the hell is going on? So I think we get a shootout here in L.A. And I think Penix and Washington win the game. And I don't think USC plays spoilers because... They're not good enough to get a big stop in a big moment against a quality opponent. Like, yeah, they can do it against Cal after giving up 49 points. They can make a play on the two-point conversion to not lose the game, right? But I just think their offense has been keeping them in so many games they would have lost because of their defense. That reason, give me Washington on the road. Kansas State takes on Texas. Kansas State won the Big 12 last year. I just don't think it's the same Kansas State team or a, a necessary classic Kansas State team. Texas is good with Sark. Ewers is good. Worthy's a great receiver. They got a good running game. Defensively, they have playmakers. We saw it in the Bama game. I understand people are on upset alert here for Texas and all this kind of stuff. They find a way to win at home. Maybe it's ugly. Maybe it's a come from behind, but they do find a way to win it. LSU-Bama. LSU's wins against Bama have been sporadic the last 10 years. The Joe Burrow year, they got him. And they also got him last year in the double overtime game. In a game that Bama made a bunch of mistakes and should have won the game, right? And they had a lead against Joe Burrow, if I'm not mistaken, in that fourth quarter. So, Bama at home here. They've righted the ship, in my opinion, since that Texas loss. I understand LSU and Daniels have that amazing offense. But it's it's hard to put up points against the Bama team when they're ready to go. So I like, and both teams are off the bye, obviously. So that that's no real advantage to either team. But I do think Saban remembers the way Brian Kelly acted and LSU acted last year after beating them in double overtime like they won the game going away. I really, really, really like Bama in this spot. So give me Bama. Bedlam, Oklahoma goes to Stillwater possibly for the last time. I mean, they got to do something. They got to do something to right this ship. Uh, this is this is really bad. What's happening in, in conference realignment? We're losing some in-state rivalries. We're losing some out-of-state rivalries, some rivalries that have been very, very important. But a game like Bedlam deserves to be played every year. It's a game that is just so, so laced in traditions um, and historic, to be fair. So, I like Gundy's boys. Last one in Stillwater to give the Sooners one last parting gift as they leave the Big 12 for the SEC. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I just don't think the Sooner team is that good. I do... Love the coach. You know I love the coach. 
um, from his Clemson days. But Gabriel hasn't been clicking when I've, you know, you look for him to do a little bit more, right? Um, and defensively, you thought they'd be better, but they're not. So I think it's a exciting game, and I think Oklahoma State pulls it out. Ohio State, who's number one, travels to Piscataway. What an upset it would be. Uh, it just won't happen, unfortunately. It would be sensational. It would be outstanding. It would be maybe the biggest upset in the history. Well, not in the history, because there have been, like, teams that have, like, two wins, upset teams. This Rutgers team is going to a bowl game. But considering the stakes, considering that Ohio State has beat in Rutgers' brain since coming into the Big Ten, it's not going to happen, but holy, what if it would happen, that would be insane. So, therefore, Ohio State's going to come in and hang 50-1. and one. Purdue against Michigan. Michigan sees how they are being treated right now, being behind an Ohio State team that has a close win on the road against a team that had 10 guys on the field for the winning touchdown, and a, a team in, in Penn State who is the 11th-ranked team in the country, but only kind of by default. Like, if you could rank two lost teams ahead of them, I think you would. I honestly would rank Notre Dame and LSU. I would say Notre Dame and LSU are better teams than Penn State because Penn State just continues to beat up on the Temples and the Indianas and the Rutgers and, and who else, the Nebraskas. And, and then when they play Big Bad Ohio State or they play Big Bad Michigan, they lay an egg. Okay, James Franklin is a fraud. Fraud. That being said, Michigan against Purdue. My point about the playoffs is that Michigan sees that Ohio State is in front of them. Michigan sees that Georgia is in front of them. So considering they really have the game coming up that we know is the most important game, until that point, they just have to keep blowing teams out and winning impressively and not having close scares and close calls that these other teams are having. Why a Washington is ranked five? Why a Florida State is ranked four behind these teams? That BC close uh, close win and that, and that Clemson close win. So there you go. So Michigan has to crush Purdue at the big house. I think they will. Florida State, speaking of Florida State, goes to Pitt. Pitt just gave up, what, 58 to Notre Dame. Florida State's going to look to hang a 60 um, because they see that Washington's behind them. Washington has games that are games that can change their season for good or for bad, obviously, but games that can make them jump a team that isn't playing a tough team, right? So Florida State schedule down the stretch, they've played Clemson already. You know, they played LSU week one. Or week, yeah, week one, not week zero. So they just kind of got to keep putting wins together no matter what and just staying undefeated. So that being said, I think they'll try to hang a number against Penn. Cal goes to Outson to take on Oregon. Oregon sees that they're the number one, uh, one-loss team in this playoff right now. So when some teams slip up, they can jump them. They say they have one of the best losses right now. When you rank the losses, they have the best one. They're saying that they have the one. And Cal just had the opportunity to upset USC before they leave the conference. Couldn't get it done. I don't think they will have the same opportunity against Oregon, Oregon big. 
A&M goes to the Grove to take on Ole Miss. Ole Miss should be on upset alert here. A&M has a talented roster, uh, but they just don't have a good coach in Jimbo. Jimbo's just not done enough. I know he's won a national championship at Florida State, but in these years at A&M when he's had SEC talent. Now, I know they've picked some teams off here and there, but they haven't played an SEC title game, if I'm not mistaken. So I'll take the lane train at home there. Uh, Penn State goes to Maryland. We got Vatek going to Louisville, Notre Dame. Uh, travels to Clemson, who, how about Tavos Radio ran? That was great the other day. Um, Oregon State travels to Colorado. Colorado will cover that game. UConn takes on Tennessee. Arizona State goes to Utah. UCLA travels to Arizona. Iowa State hosts number 21, Kansas. ECU hosts Tulane. And then Army travels to Air Force. Take the under. All right, let's go to a weekend soccer preview. EPL gets underway with Fulham. At Craven Cottage, hosting Manchester United, who are out of the Carabao Cup. Um, it's just not a good time for Manchester United. And they are beatable right now, obviously. And the mood is not good. And it is kind of contagious. It just seems like some of these clubs, they all go through these spells where, um, whether it was a Liverpool, whether it was Chelsea, whether it was Arsenal, whether it was now United and Tottenham had the spell. Obviously, Man City really don't because they just have so much money. It doesn't matter. Um, but United are really, really fighting it. And they have the big injuries on the back line, we know. But they just haven't been good, and they're not scoring goals, and they're not playing any type of football that resembles what Ten Hag w wanted to do or, or did it at Ajax and or wants to do now. Um so I could I could see a nil nil to be honest. I I truly could. I could see Ten Hag being like, "We're getting a result," and even if it's nil nil, it's a result. Like, it's embarrassing, but I just the way United are playing right now, it just doesn't seem like it's a, a good time to be a United fan. So I'm gonna take a nil nil draw there and try to call my shot. Uh, Sheffield United against Wolves. Sheffield United wins in the worst way. Um, Wolves, who I was very worried about, very worried about to start the season, especially if like a Luton or a Burnley or a Sheffield United got off to a hot start. I was really worried about Wolves. But Hwang and Neto and Cunha have just done enough in Nunez's and Raul Jimenez's apps. Like they've just done enough in scoring some big, big goals. And some defenders are scoring goals. They're playing some good defense in some matches. So. I think this is a Wolves win or a draw. It's going to be tough for Sheffield. I understand they're at Bremo Lane, and I understand they need every point they can get, and, and wins are coming very, very, very uh, sporadically for them. So I'm going to take a draw. Man City, Bournemouth. Bournemouth are struggling. If it wasn't for the three other teams that have come up and struggled, I'd be really worried about them, and I understand Bournemouth are still kind of in the drop zone because they haven't won yet. And I don't think they're going to beat City for the first win. That's for sure. But here we are. That's who you got to play. So uh, that's tough. City, I'm sure, will decimate them. And we'll call it an afternoon. Everton, Brighton. Everton got a gigantic win away from Goodison in the London Stadium against West Ham. They jumped on. They, they just played West Ham very, very tough. And... They got a big goal, and they hung on. So can Everton do that against Brighton at home? Brighton 
have conceded and scored in every match. So you get some fun matches when Brighton come to play. You or you go to the Amex. I mean, it's just it's just kind of been that kind of season for Brighton. Can Everton slow down this Brighton side? And if they do slow them down, can they get the win without conceding? Can they steal another game 1-0 like they did against West Ham? Because I didn't think 1-0 Everton was going to be that result. Like, maybe Everton would have won 2-1. They, they got lucky with the penalty and scored another goal. I just didn't think West Ham would not score at home. They'd have to. They'd have to score, but they didn't. So, I'm going to take Brighton away 2-1. Burnley, Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace's injuries have really, really hurt them. Uh, Eze and Olise being out. Those were two guys that I've kind of highlighted every time I brought up Crystal Palace because I just think those guys are ballers. And they're young ballers. And they're guys that can help a Crystal Palace, you know, maybe next year or the year. Like, pull what West Ham did. Pull what a Villa did and get into a European spot. Especially because there's going to be more European spots because there's going to be another 12 European leagues. Right? So, um... That being said, at Turf Moor, it, it's so tough for Burnley to win matches because they didn't do enough in the market. Um, it's one thing to play a style in the championship with championship players or fringe players, fine. But then when you come up to the Prem and you're like, with the same guys, I'm going to play the same style and not try to get some big play... like. That's not setting yourself up to succeed. It's just not. It's just not. So it's very difficult for Burnley to com compete. And Crystal Palace, to me, I think will find a way to be pragmatic and win. Brentford against West Ham. West Ham knocked out Arsenal. So they've rebounded from the Everton loss. Brentford. They need Tony back. And I and you give AJ and Buemo and Jensen and Wissa are scoring goals. Right, but they need that talisman back. He really, really helped them in a lot of big moments. Um, I mean, they keep beating Chelsea. They'd love to start playing more games at uh, the bridge, I'm sure. And this one at the G-Tech, right? G-Tech, that's them, right? The G-Tech Community Stadium. I'm pretty sure that's them. Um I'm very interested to see the lineups. I'm very interested to see uh, the formations in this match. Because I really, really want to give it to Brentford at home. Give them three points. But Moises West Ham, they are versatile. Even though there are some older players and some rigid players, they do have the ability. Like Suchek and Ward-Prowse. Could easily be holding sixes, but instead they're kind of like eight slash tens because they have Alvarez, right? They're replacing Declan Rice. So, Paqueta's always attacking. Bowen's always attacking. Like, Antonio, they got a good team. I'm going to go exciting one. I'm going to go 2-2. Two -two. Then we have Newcastle Arsenal. This could be a really, really fun match at St. James Park if both teams come out to play, if both teams play an attacking lineup. I could really see this one being like a 3-3, a 4-4. Like, I don't see this game being nil-nil. I really don't. Now, 
if it's nil-nil and I come back on Tuesday and be like, nil-nil, I predicted it, then you know I'm lying. But I just, I really think this game could be high-flying, exciting, scoring. Now, I know Isak is out, but they have Callum Wilson, and Callum Wilson has been producing goals for them. So, I'm going to go Newcastle, get a big draw at home, because they haven't been great. They have not been great. Um, so, they do get a result. Give me 2-2. Two, two. Nah, 3-3. Three, three. Forrest and Villa. Forrest did not play a great game at Anfield. Liverpool kind of jumped on them. They're back home at the city ground, which has been a very, very good ground for them. It'll be tough to win there, but Emery has kind of found some rotations, some patterns, some guys that he wants to play together in that uh, midfield and the attack. So I'm going to give Villa 2-1. Luton Town hosts Liverpool. Um, this could get really ugly. Luton is not a Premier League team. Um, and Liverpool, Klopp's pushing a lot of the right buttons. And though there are, you know, a couple injuries here and there, and Luis Diaz is unfortunately still away from the team with um, his father being kidnapped in, in Colombia. So I think Liverpool... Keep playing for Luis Diaz, and they get a big result against Luton. And then on Monday, the big one. At Tottenham Stadium, a Northwest London derby. Tottenham, Chelsea. Chelsea have been playing better. They've kind of, once Caicedo got healthy, and they could put Enzo and Caicedo and Gallagher in that midfield. Um... Murdoch's been scored a couple goals now, finally. So he's been, you know, actually influential off the wing for once. Um, defensively, they've been better. Reese James should be back and starting with the team now. He's come off the bench for a couple games in a row, if I'm not mistaken, out of the Prem. So it's a big one for Tottenham because they are top of the table. All the results will be played. And on Monday night, they'll have the opportunity to go back to the top of the table, I'm sure. Can they do it? Um, can they prove that they're in a title race? And it's still, again, early on, and we're not in the busy, festive fixture uh, point of the season yet, point of the campaign, where the, the fixtures come thick and fast, as we know. But to get to that point, to get in the title race, you have to be in the top four. You have to be in the top three, and you have to be continuing to win games and win matches. So, I think Chelsea are going to make it very, very difficult for Tottenham. And again, at some point, Tottenham will reveal that they do not have enough to do this for the whole season. And it's not a knock. I'm not trying to knock Big Ange or, or, or Madison or something. They don't have enough players. And I get that, okay, we'll just play one game a week, fine. If James Madison gets hurt, they're really in trouble. Now, I know Bettencourt came back, so that does provide a little bit of depth to um, Saar and Basoma for sure. If Hemingsone gets hurt, they're really in trouble. If Kulisowski gets hurt, they're really in trouble. If Romero or Vandeman get hurt, they're really in trouble. So they don't have a ton of depth. And we know in this league, anything can really happen with injuries. So if Tottenham stay healthy and fit, sure, they can make a run. But... It's very difficult to sustain uh, a season without injuries. It really is. So, I think Chelsea are playing better. 
I think therefore they will get a result. I think Tottenham remains unbeaten and we get a 1-1 draw. La Liga, Las Palmas play Atletico, Celta Viga host Sevilla and Real Madrid. Uh, Real Sociedad host Barcelona. What are Real Madrid doing? I missed them on my sheet. Hold on. Real Madrid are home against Valcano on uh, Sunday. Serie A, Bologna, Lazio, Zanartina against Napoli, Atalanta hosts Inter, AC Milan hosts Udinese, Roma hosts Lecce, Florentina welcome in Juventus, Bundesliga action, Hoffenheim, Leverkusen, Mainz against Rebel Leipzig, and Dortmund, Munich, their classicer, big one in Germany, Ligue 1, PSG, Montpellier, Monaco against Brest, the league leaders, Nice against Rennes. Uh, college basketball, real quick, uh, Bobby Knight has passed away ahead of me recording this podcast. One of the all-time coaches, one of the all-time characters, one of the all-time people in college basketball. Um, whether you loved him or hated him, whether you saw him coach at Indiana or you saw him coach at Texas Tech or you first heard him when he was doing ESPN games or studio work or um, interviews or anything like that, he was college basketball. Um, a champion player, a three-time champion as a coach, Five Final Fours, 11 Big Ten titles, three times he's the AP Coach of the Year, one time he's the Naismith Coach of the Year, 91 he went into the Basketball Hall of Fame, undefeated season at Indiana, one of those national championships. So um, a guy who I loved, a guy who a fiery personality that I just, you know, it's emotional. Like people that play or go through life not showing emotion, like what are you doing? So... I always love Bobby Knight. I learned a ton about basketball from Bobby Knight. Um, I learned a ton about life from Bobby Knight. And uh, I'm definitely saddened by this, by him passing away. It is sad for me. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. So rest in peace, Bobby Knight. Condolences to the Knight family, the Indiana basketball family, Texas Texas basketball family, ESPN basketball family, because he did so many games. Um Musburger he did games with. I think Bob was shoes and he would do some games with. So, All right, let's go into our college basketball preview. We start with the Big 12. So I'll do ranked teams kind of by conference and mention a few unranked teams as well. So Kansas, Bill Self brings in Dickinson out of the transfer portal. Harris is back. McCullers is back. Adams is back. They also bring in Timberlake, who's going to be the transfer uh, from Towson. He's the shooter. So Kansas rebuilds. Uh, McCullers is really good. Adams is really good. Harris is a guy that doesn't need to score, can play good defense, can facilitate the offense, and they bring in a Hunter Dickinson, who's one of the plus players in the country. So Kansas absolutely ready to comp contend in this Big 12. Now, a new addition to this Big 12, Houston is the seventh-ranked team in the country. Calvin Sampson's Houston Cougars. To the Big 12, Sheed and Roberts are back. Cryer comes in from Baylor. Dunn comes in from Temple. So those are the transfers for Houston, and Sampson will have another good team. Texas is ranked 18th. Rodney Terry keeps the job after uh, saving it from the interim. Hunter back. Mitchell back. Disu back. Abs Abmus, the, I think, leading scorer in, in college basketball last year, comes in from Oral Roberts. Uh, Shedrick comes in from UVA, so a couple transfers to help Texas out. Baylor for Coach Drew is ranked 20th. Bridges and Tachama Chachua are back. Dennis in from Toledo. None from VCU. Uh, Big 10. Number three team in the country is Purdue. Matt Painter tries to bring back a team that 
They're going to try to do what Virginia did, which was lose to 16 and win a national championship. Edie is back. Lawyer, the shooter, is back. Smith is back. And then Jones is a transfer coming in. Uh, Michigan State is ranked four. Everybody's back. For Izzo, Walker, Hoggard, Akins, Hall, Sissoko. Michigan State, this could be the year for Michigan State. Um, experienced in guards. Some good basketball players in East Lansing for Tom Izzo. Uh, Illinois is ranked 25 for Brad Underwood. Shannon Hawkins, Donja are back. Wisconsin got some votes. Uh, Maryland got some votes. Indiana got some votes out of the Big Ten as well. SEC, number nine, is Tennessee for Rick Barnes. I don't understand how Viscovi is still there. Um, somebody has to look into this. I really feel like he was a freshman when I was a senior in college, and that was in 2012. So somebody's got to look into Viscovi. Like, how is he still there? Uh, JJJ is back. Adu is back. Uh, Kinech comes in from Northern Colorado. He was a scorer for them. Arkansas is ranked 14th for the must bus. Brazil, uh, I believe it's Brazil, right? Brazali? 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 I don't know how to say his name. Mitchell and Debo Davis are back. Battle comes in from Temple. Mark comes in from Houston. That's the two big transfers for them. Uh, Texas A&M, Buzz Williams is ranked 15. Williams, Taylor, Radford, Coleman, Marble are all back. Carter comes in from the Chicago school, Illinois, Chicago. So that'll help them out. Cal's Kentucky Wildcats are 16. Mitchell and Reeves are back. Edwards, three in the poll, uh, or in the top 100. Wagner's four in the top 100. Bradshaw, six in the top 100. So, Cal bringing in some talented freshmen as always. Bama is ranked 24 for Nate Oates. Sears, Griffin, Pringle are back. Estrada comes in from Hofstra. Nelson comes in from the North Dakota State University Fighting Sioux, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, Auburn and Mississippi State also receiving votes in the SEC. Duke is the number two team for Coach Shire. Filipowski, Roach, Proctor, Mitchell all back. McCain comes in, who's a popular um, top 100 player. Miami. At 13 for Coach Laranaga, Pack, Paplar, Omari, Joseph back. Uh, Cleveland comes in from uh, a transfer. 19 is UNC, who have to avenge last year where they started number one in the poll and did not make the NCAA tournament. Baycott and R.J. Davis are back. Cormac Ryan comes in for Notre Dame. Ingram comes in from Stanford. Cadao uh, is number 10 in the ESPN Top 100. UVA also getting some votes as well. Go to the Big East, too. To me, it's, I don't want to say the most dramatic conference or the most, but the Big East is must-watch. Um, the teams in Marquette, UConn, Creighton, Nova, very, very good teams. And then you have the storylines with St. John's. You have the storyline with Providence. You have the storyline with Georgetown. Uh, Xavier's got to be better. Butler's got to be better. But there are so many teams in the Big East. Number five, Marquette. Shaka brings back the Big East player of the year in Colec, Jones, Igadario, Mitchell, Joplin, all back for Shaka Smart. So it's a veteran team coming out of Wisconsin there for Marquette. The defending champs, UConn, Huskies, number six for uh, Hurley. Klingon, Caravan, Newton back. Spencer comes in from Rutgers. Castle is the freshman. Creighton's not eight. McDermott has Kalkbrunner, Alexander Shiren back. Ashworth comes in from Utah State. A good transfer there. Uh, Coach Neptune's number 22, Villanova Wildcats. Moore and Dixon are back. Burton is a transfer from Richmond. Bama Bamba is a transfer from Wazoo. And Hart comes in from Maryland. St. John's. Patino. Soriano State, and he's got a bunch of transfers. Uh, Providence coach is Kim English because Cooley went to Georgetown. So mark your calendars when Georgetown goes to Providence, folks. Uh, Pac-12. 
in the last year. Arizona is at 12. Larson and Balo are back. Uh, Boswell steps into a bigger role. He's back as well. Love comes in from UNC. It's a gigantic transfer. And Johnson comes in from San, uh, San Diego State. USC at 21 for Andy Enfield. Boogie Ellis, Johnson, Morgan, all back. Rodman comes in from Wazoo. Collier. Collier? 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 Is the number one recruit in the ESPN Top 100. Bronny and Johnson off the bench if Bronny can go, hopefully. And you got Colorado and UCLA also receiving some votes in the Pac-12. So as the other teams, FAU is 10 for Dusty May. Now they're in the AAC, so that'll help them. All five stars are back. Martin, Davis, Boyd, Greenlee, and Golden. Gonzaga's at 11 for Mark Few. Watson and Hickman back. They brought in Nemhard from Creighton Ventures from Eastern Washington and Ike from Wyoming to help out their starters. San Diego State, the runner-up. Brian Dutcher's crew, the Aztecs, Butler, Trammell, and Parrish back. Ladee also as well. They bring in Dixon Waters from USC. And number 23, St. Mary's, uh, Mahaney, Dukas, Saxon all back. Dukas and Saxon, I feel like, have been there for 10 years. Uh, so that's our college basketball season preview. We'll highlight games, you know, as the season goes along. But you know when the NFL ends, or at least the NFL regular season ends, um, we, we have a deeper dive into college basketball. So we'll give you the refresher when that happens in January. Um, but until then, we'll, we'll keep an eye on college basketball. All right, let's go to the World Series. Rangers win game four. Rangers win game five. They are off the list. They have now won a World Series. So it's from six teams to five that have not won a World Series. And now the Texas Rangers have won game four. They win 11-7. to seven. They went up 3-1 in that game. Back-to-back, -back, five run innings in the second and the third for Texas. Broke it open. Arizona got four back in the sec, uh, four back in the eighth and two in the ninth, but they never got closer than that, so they lose game four. And then Rangers end up winning this 5-0 game five, but what a pitchers will we had. Gallon and Evaldi both trade, getting out of jams through six innings. Gallon gives up one. In the seventh, exits in the seventh. Rangers get four more in the ninth. Two on a misplay in the outfield. The ball went on the center fielder's glove. And then two on a Simeon home run. So the Rangers close it out in Arizona in game five. They don't need game six or game seven at home. They get it done in five games. And they are off the list of teams that have never won the World Series. Cross the Texas Rangers off that list. Bruce Bochy, another World Series. Uh, what a story. What a story, and we can put a close to the baseball season. All right, to the picks portion of the show, let's start with Survivor Pool Locks. Twenty and four for this season on Survivor Pool Locks. Pretty simple here. Three home teams, three out of division games, and I think three one o'clock kickoffs if I'm not mistaken one two yeah alright so there we go pick number one uh, Cleveland at home against Arizona listen I know Arizona could have Kyler Murray back I know Cleveland still might not have Deshaun Watson back the Cleveland defense has the best players on the field the Cleveland defense and special teams have taken over some games Cleveland at home against Arizona. Give me the Browns. Pick number one. Pick number two. Saints at home against the Bears. Saints have a... I know they give up some points to the Colts. 
They have a defense. They have players on that defense. And then offensively, they have an offense that can control the clock, score some points, and win the football game. So give me New Orleans at home against the Bears. Pick number two and pick number three. I think Seattle can hang around. I think Seattle may even be able to pull this game out. But Baltimore at home, they've been just jumping on teams. And I expect them to beat Seattle. And if I'm wrong, I get to say Baltimore's not that good. So it's a win-win for me. So pick number three is Baltimore. So we got Cleveland at home against Arizona. We got New Orleans at home against Chicago. And we got Baltimore at home against Seattle, your week nine survivor pool locks. Okay, so we talked about a strategy for pick six last week, and the three wins came from three primetime unders, so you think I'm going to the wall again? I am. So let's get ready. Let's get into it for the FFF SOSS pick six for week nine in the National Football League, the league where they play. Pay. Twenty one, twenty five, and two. A big week would really put us in contention to have a good season down the stretch here as we're in uh, week nine. Pick number one is Thursday night under Tennessee Pittsburgh under thirty seven. Uh, two young quarterbacks, two not great offenses. Now, I understand Henry and Hopkins helped out Levis a lot last week, but that was at home. You're going to Pittsburgh on a short week, tough environment. Pittsburgh have been in some close, tight games, some low-scoring games. Kenny's in. Kenny's in. They usually hang around and stick in, and the defense knows that they can win the game. So I'm going low-scoring. I know it's low. It's low for a reason. Tessie Pittsburgh, under 37, pick number one. Pick number two, I like New Orleans at home against Chicago. It's around a touchdown. I see six some places. I'll take six. Banyard doesn't scare me. The Bears' defense doesn't scare me. Saints control this game. They're fighting for the division. The Bears aren't. They're a better team. The Bears aren't. Like, the... The Saints are a better coach. The Bears have terrible coaches. New Orleans minus six at home against the Chicago Bears. Pick number two. Pick number three. I'm picking another NFC South team. They've just changed quarterbacks. And I understand, you know, it's a little more than a field goal, less than a touchdown, so... In Minnesota, it could be going uh, sticking with Hall if Dobbs isn't ready, but they'll have a quarterback they're not used to. But Atlanta is a better team than Minnesota. Atlanta, same kind of thing I just said, is fighting for division. The Bears, the uh, the the Falcons are fighting for division. Minnesota is not. Just like I said about the Saints are fighting for division, and Chicago's not. So I like Falcons minus four in their own building. Turn it over to Heineke. Turn the offense over to him. 
You get the ball to Bijan, you get the ball to Pitch, you get the ball to London, and you look more like a competent offense with Heineke. So pick number three is Atlanta minus four against Minnesota at home. Pick number four. I tried to snag uh, Carolina a couple weeks ago for their, for being a home dog. I should have did it last week, to be fair, but I didn't. But I'm doing it this week. I don't think the Colts are that good. I think they're begging you to take the Colts minus three against the Carolina team that's bad. And then Carolina got a little confidence last week. He's like, hey, if I just throw it to Thielen sometimes, he'll just catch the ball and it will be all right. Um, so I think Carolina, at least we push here, losing by a field goal. I think they went out right. I'm not really worried about Indianapolis. I know they just put up, you know, what, 27 against the Saints defense. That was at home. This is on the road. That was indoors. This is outside. Give me Carolina hang around plus three against Indy at home, pick number four. So we got two favorites. A dog and an under so far, and you've figured out if you're playing the patterns, you know where I'm going here. We'll go to Sunday night and Monday night under. So Sunday night, Buffalo, Cincinnati. I would have thought this was going to be a little higher. So the fact that it's only 49, I'm a little concerned about, but under 49. Buffalo and Cincinnati in Cincinnati on Sunday night. Bills, Bengals, two very good offenses, two pretty good defenses. I think the defenses will show up in a big way. And then pick number six, Monday night, Chargers, Jets, under 42. I don't know how this is 42. The Jets at home, especially the defense has been playing well, and it's not like the offense can just put up a number. This is more about, I think, Vegas saying, hey, the Chargers are going to score a lot of points. And maybe they're going to win this over for you outright, or they're going to at least carry it. So I just don't see that happening against the Jet defense. So Chargers, Jets, under 42 is pick number six. Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Thursday night, under 37 is pick number one. Pick number two, the New Orleans Saints at home against the Chicago Bears. Pick number three. Falcons turn it over to Heineke. I like them minus four at home against Minnesota. The underdog for me this week, Carolina at home plus three against Indy. I think they can win that game outright. And then picks five and six, the two primetime under. Sunday night, Bills, Bengals under 49. Monday night, Chargers, Jets under 42. The pick six. Tennessee, Pittsburgh under 37. Saints minus six against the Bears. Falcons minus four against the Vikings. Panthers plus three against the Colts. Bills, Bengals under 49. Chargers, Jets under 42. The week nine, FFF. SOSS. Pick six in the National Football League. All right, so there you go. Long show there. We had a lot of things to talk about, a lot of things to preview, a lot of things to recap as well. So uh, 
enjoy the weekend as we have turned the calendars to November. The weather coming in and the more serious football coming in as well. So we will recap it all on Tuesday's program. Look forward to that, folks. Enjoy your weekend. I will talk to you on Tuesday. And until then, peace. Football, football, and sometimes other sports show. Sounds like me.